and welcome to the Untapped Philanthropy Podcast. I'm your host and Flux co-founder, Corinne Mitchell. I've spent my career exploring technology's role in amplifying impact within our social sector, and more specifically, helping funders to learn to leverage technology and data to connect and better serve our collective causes, constituents, and communities. In this podcast series, my team and I will profile social sector leaders, public figures, philanthropists, and industry futurists to explore this fascinating intersection of funding, technology, and policy. We're here to analyze the most critical and formative topics and trends that shape philanthropy both today and tomorrow. We hope this series leaves you inspired to think and act through a more collective and visionary lens. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with a leader who brings a wealth of experience and, of course, a very unique lens to what it means to be a CIO at a large foundation, and that is our very own John Moore, Chief Information Officer at the MacArthur Foundation. John, hey, what's up? Hey. Hi. It's so fun to talk to you in this environment. Usually, we're like connecting over hotel drinks at conferences and our like tour across the, the uh, you know, the United States. So this is very virtual of us. So 2020 and 2021 of us. Yes. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for it to be in our rearview mirror. I know. And, and honestly, like I used to kind of, not that I ever, there were just so many conferences that by the end I was like, oh my gosh, where am I going this week? But I kind of miss, you know, fill in the blank America, you know, getting a drink at a random hotel bar with like our colleagues. I really genuinely can't wait for that again. <laughs> yeah. I, I often say that one of my favorite part of conferences is the meetings in between the meetings. Right. Um, which, yes. You know, can be at the end of the day or just in the hallway. Yeah. Um, and so I think uh, part of the challenge of pandemic time is to figure out how to still have those happen. Yeah. The meaningful kind of passing conversations where you're like, wait a second, that was a brilliant idea. We need to execute on that immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, while I have the the knowledge, of course, from from our many sessions um, and and meetings and 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 our history of oh my gosh, eight years. Oh goodness, I have the knowledge of, of a little bit about who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, as you said, um, my role is the chief information officer at the MacArthur Foundation. Um, we're a global foundation based in Chicago, but offices in India, Nigeria, Mexico, and in the past, Russia as well. I've been at the foundation for almost nine years. And my, I guess, career has by and large been as a technologist, but perhaps at the end, we'll touch on my uh, alternate interesting career as a a musician, but um, we can can save that for later. But um, I guess I, I think of myself as a business person that uses technology to solve business problems. Awesome. And I mean, in terms of MacArthur, obviously a huge chapter of your life and one that we're going to dive into as part of our conversation today. But but prior to that, you were even at, um, was it 10 years at the University of Chicago and you managed all their applications um, and, and all of these sort of aspects of that business, but in a higher education uh, environment. So tell us a little bit about that and then what prompted you to come over to MacArthur and then we can kind of get into the details of, the, of this future state of philanthropy but very curious to get a, a sense of what made you what made you leave higher ed and come over yeah so I was at as you point out University of Chicago from 2002 through 2012 and you know it's a large well-known university and I had a few different jobs there and one of the benefits I think of being in a big organization, 
is, you know, you can keep the same parking space and still have a career path. So I started there leading um, a web development team, which was actually an internal consulting group. So we actually charged for our time. So it was a 20 plus person group. Then I worked on an enterprise system for fundraising development system. And then the latter part of my time there, I led the academic uh, systems, which is all of the systems that students use. So grades, billing, housing, et cetera, et cetera. And also facilities management, so which is an arcane little corner of <laughs> technology. It was a, a good experience in a very large environment, 450 people in IT. And I think going to MacArthur, there was a couple reasons. One was MacArthur's about 200 people total. So it was a way to have a much bigger impact. My team at MacArthur's about 15 people. So it was a familiar sized team, but it is, you know, the entire foundation's technology. And I think the the scope of the responsibilities being responsible for all of the technology at the foundation was of interest, you know, being the person in charge. And at U of C, we had a CIO that was not me. Um, so that was a, a place I wanted to get to or get back to, I guess. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. And, you know, I think the, the foundation's reputation and the known good work that it does were also quite appealing. So, you know, it was the combination of those. Absolutely. And in that, you know, stepping from higher ed to a key leadership role at the MacArthur Foundation, you know, I know that the when you, you know, like you said, the CIO role was something you were excited to kind of move into and evolve to. And this is something where I know you have a strong sense of a role, if you will, that that you believe that there is an emphasis on the importance of technology and technologists to have a seat at the table at the foundation or in any org, but specifically at a foundation. And and I know we've talked about this where the foundation, because of, of the sense of where technology perhaps has been in the past, slightly laggard in many foundations, it's even more important right now for, for that seat at the table. So tell me a little bit about your ethos around the CIO role at MacArthur, how you approach that really. I, I think of it as to be as credible as possible and be as good a partner as I can, I really need to understand what our business is. And so we have a number of different grant programs. Um, yesterday's big news was the 100 and change, $100 million award. Very different from our fellows program where the MacArthur geniuses are selected. And then there's our day-to-day -day work that maybe is a bit more Standard. So I, I guess I think of it in a couple of ways. Um, one is really, really need to understand the work the foundation does, the grant making work. Being a good partner across the foundation, you know, which I think is both execution and then maybe the less, well, one step lower is credibility, which I think is trust and, you know, following through and doing what you say you're going to do. I think, it, and you sort of touched on this, that there's, I'll call it an evolution or maybe progression of understanding that the capabilities that uh, technology can bring aren't just useful, but as we've seen in the past year and with the pandemic and everyone going remote, really critical to the entire organization functioning. So you can have that as a, as a baseline, but then I think functioning better gets into the really interesting areas around maybe analysis and use of information to make better decisions. I think one of the interesting things about 
the job or the role is that technology has really evolved quite a bit in, let's say, the last 10 plus years. And, and so taking advantage of cloud computing and SaaS applications really opens up a lot of other areas where a team's time can be spent. And that then ties into the, the need and importance of being a good partner to the other areas. And that makes sense. I mean, I think now more than ever, we're, you know, we're seeing, obviously, the need for that, you know, virtual world. But, but I think it opened up people's eyes around by being, I want to say, isolated to either themselves, even in, in a physical isolation, the need to communicate, connect, and this idea of, of course, technology to do that. But even at a, at a more grander level of like, these common methods and, and structures to look not just within ourselves, but to the larger community. It's, it's an interesting, almost tectonic shift in the way people are starting to think. And it's one of those things as a technologist, I get super excited about because yes, I mean, you and I could look at this 10 years ago and say the opportunity for shared data is incredibly strong, mm-hmm. or the opportunity for collaboration beyond a program and an org is incredibly strong. But the willingness to change management, that sort of that cultural shift is finally occurring <laughs> after what I think was a pretty, you know, important shift of, of mindset. And and while I, I look at things like the existential crisis and say there are a lot of things that were very scary and awful about, there are some real benefits that we've seen where people are recognizing that role. And technology's role, instead of being that tactical, rather unsexy thing, or I mean, I don't know, a good mail merge is pretty sexy, but something about that foundational capability that technology's role could be and in investing in upgrades and, you know, looking at organizational resilience um, now becomes something where you look at it, and you say, well, these are places where we have additional time because technology's helped. There's an increased impact more realistic because there's actual space in your data to, to do it. So it's actually, I don't know, it's pretty cool. Um, but, you know, in our industry, there's obviously a balance of both. There's the strategic benefits of the right technology and the rigor of right-sized processes. And then all of a sudden, you're governed by this sort of grand vision that you want to be able to, to pull in. So talk to me a little bit about where you perceive the role of CIOs to balance that in that transition and driving, you know, sort of philanthropy space as a whole. Tell me a little bit about where you see sort of your role and responsibility in, in pushing that forward beyond, obviously, the mail merge side of the house, but the, the bigger vision. It's evolved. And I think uh, one of the things we've learned uh, from the pandemic, and I hope everyone agrees, is that the change management of uh, doing things remotely, and maybe there's different applications or different approaches, is totally doable. And, you know, we had implemented a new AV system right as we were going remote. And that had previously been a pain point. But, you know, a year, whatever, 14 months later, 13 months later, I think we're all experts with, you know, the leading AV system. So, like, those kinds of, you know, change is hard. We can't change. This is how we've done this. You know, that the pandemic, I think, has shown us that we can we we can adapt quite well. We just need the right incentives. I think that's something that we should collectively keep in mind is how much can change and how quickly we can do that when we need to. Hopefully the reasons in the future are different. So for me, uh, the role and how I think about it and my role has changed. Uh, Early on, it was quite tactical and operational and internally focused, getting us to where we needed to be in terms of enterprise application capabilities, our security posture, building the right team and getting the right skills on the team so that we could 
do things. Uh, an example is when I joined, we didn't have any project managers and it was a little perplexing to me. But the reason was that we were largely right. in a maintenance mode. And right. so not doing, <laughs> not doing a lot of projects, you didn't need project managers. Now we do a lot of projects. And so along those lines, I think that was a revelation for the organization that, you know, that kind of professional capability uh, is really important. So, um, of course, you need project managers, but that was sort of a new element for us. Over time, we've um, added a pretty strong uh, IT governance process so that these projects get prioritized by a, a group of leaders across the foundation so that it isn't just, well, IT decided X, Y, and Z, but rather, you know, this group of business leaders within the foundation made this decision or these decisions. And that's, you know, super critical, right? It's thinking broadly about the uh, priorities of the foundation. I think we've, as we've modernized our systems, I've found myself wanting to not just participate or lead at the foundation, but then also uh, in the sector. And, and so uh, I think I've joked that I'm a, a joiner, but I, I really enjoy, you know, working with others and collaborating. And so for me, that has been a couple different customer advisory boards. It has been uh, participating with TAG as a board member for a number of years, and, and also trying to um, connect people who are trying to solve the same types of problems, but perhaps in different ways. And, you know, along those lines, then in the past year plus-ish, they've really been trying to figure out how to have a more strategic impact on the sector. And you've you kind of hinted at that. And, you know, one way is to better utilize the data that the sector has and that foundations have to either share that or use that in a way that it reduces a burden for grant seekers and allows them to more easily apply for grants and get access to capital. And that can be a number of different things, but just as a as a broad concept or umbrella, that's a really compelling space for me. And so that's an area that I want to continue to spend time in and hopefully spend more time in in the in the coming years. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I've heard you quote, I think, uh, I think, I hope I don't misquote you here, but the pace of technology often outstrips the pace of philanthropy. And I think, to your point, that ability for us as leaders, obviously, as a CIO leader, in, in your case, and the other CIOs out there, that engagement at the sort of, like you said, that meta level of moving trends forward, trying to figure out ways to move industry initiatives across, you know, the big players into the communities and, and being, you know, really explicit about how it engages not just the private sector and the private foundations within themselves, but actually the grantees and and then outward into um, even the public sector. I mean, I think Chicago does a wonderful job of this. But that idea of hyper local focus, you know, expanding it to affiliation groups and such, it's just an opportunity for us to think differently. So, you know, in that, and, and as you examine sort of industries and communities and your impact, you know, how do you decide which of these important industry initiatives you want to get involved in? You know, I, I know you, you have a couple that you're working on that you just mentioned a moment ago, but I mean, where do you sort of, how do you look at those or what's your thought process around the sequencing of those that you find important and therefore put your time for and say, okay, these are the ones I want to work on? 
I'll, I'll start with the easy part. Um, <laughs> I uh, recently got my driver's license renewed and realized the next time I need to do that, uh, I will be 60, which was a stunning realization. Um, <laughs> I think of myself as quite a bit younger in age. And, and so something that I've always been interested in has been leadership development. And selfishly, perhaps, I meant me. <laughs> and, and now I'm trying to do that in ways to help others. And certainly there's the people on my team and, you know, in my department and peers at the foundation, but, you know, also mentoring others in a slightly more formal way is something that I think is a, is a really good way of both giving back and, and providing a long-term impact. So, so that's one. I, for whatever reasons, I do like solving hard problems. Um, so that's always sort of been an area of interest. And, you know, either as I've gotten better or the world has changed, what those problems are have shifted. So, you know, at one point, maybe implementing a VoIP phone system would be a hard problem. At this point, I would rather not do that again, ever. <laughs> I actually found that with those, with the, the looking back, you know, the lens of the, the past, I'm like, man, I kind of miss some of those older problems. They seem so much easier. <laughs> anyway, but yes. Yeah, there's always things to do and stuff yep. that breaks, et cetera. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, so this idea of working together as a sector, and I think uh, for me, learning about that through my participation in TAG, has, has been great because you sort of see the common challenges that organizations and people face. And then, you know, you see various approaches to solve that. Uh, I should add that prior to working at the University of Chicago, I worked at startups and they were different industries, if you will. One was security, another was e-commerce. And, and so I've, I've been in different industries. So as I look at our sector, I, I do also think about like, are there problems we're wrestling with that have been solved in other areas? And maybe jumping back to the earlier question about um, the role of IT, you know, in a for-profit organization, let's say you're selling consumer goods and, you know, your, your web team figures out how to, I don't know, deliver web pages faster or a better user experience and all of that can convert to, you know, the bottom line and you know, making more money. So, you know, that's a pretty compelling way to demonstrate the value of IT. Hey, if you pull us in and include us earlier, we will help you make more money. That's a pretty, you know, straightforward and I would think compelling um, uh, proposal. You know, that isn't exactly there in, you know, in our sector. But I think um, allowing uh, either greater uh, access to capital, uh, reducing the time it takes to get from a grant uh, application to cash out the door are um, useful, uh, even though we're giving away or granting, you know, millions and millions of dollars, um, there are always constraints and time is one. So the degree to which things can be automated or work faster um, can help create capacity. So, you know, I think, so it's, in a way, it's like, how do I reframe this value proposition that I see working in other sectors and use that effectively in the space I'm in is, I guess, a, a way that I think about my job. 
and, and now I think about it not just within the foundation, but then also to other others in the sector and say, hey, this is something that can aid all of us. And you know, and that I guess that's a an interesting challenge because there's maybe a soft authority or an indirect influencing, and you know, getting others to to work together that aren't in your direct scope of responsibility is, is a different kind of challenge. Right. And, and I mean, I think that what's so interesting too, is when we're talking about these large scale industry initiatives, it's, it's the merging of not just the foundations, the grantees, obviously a huge part of that. And really the focus around getting the community, the impact that, that is, you know, that is the objective of all of this. But there's also vendors and technologies which have competing incentives to some degree, but at the same point, all in that collaborative environment. So it's a really interesting one to sort of say for each initiative, who are the right people to have at the table? What is the right level of governance? And honestly, who should be owning that initiative? Does it sit in a collaborative versus is it something that should be tackled you know, off uh, with a, a smaller group? And, and who is that group? But you know, it, it varies, right? So tell me actually about some of the initiatives you're most excited about. I know these can this, these can range from common taxonomies, structures into you know collaboration and community groups into data ownership. Tell me a little bit about where your your uh, eyes are gravitating towards and and which ones you're pretty excited to to see move forward. Yeah, um, well, one stemming from the the leadership topic is sort of furthering the maturation view and appreciation of IT leaders and the importance of the roles they can play. You know, so certainly and selfishly, I mean me, but I, I mean, you know, many others as well. Uh, you know, if I can, and I think the sector does a lot of this, well, okay, well, that's fine. That we're doing this, John, but what is Ford doing? What is Kellogg doing? What is Kaufman doing? What is Hewlett, right? So, you know, to the extent that we IT leaders can mature and evolve, that helps all of us. So that's one dimension. Another, uh, and this is where I think my, what's firing off the synapses for me, is around standards and data interoperability in the sector. And uh, as you know, uh, I'm working on an initiative right now that's focused around the application process. And we can call it a common application, but what we're learning is that there's a fair amount of um, variety in those processes. And, and that's fine, um, you know, that there's a number of different business processes. But what, what there is, is really a, a superset of data. And it may not be the exact same data elements from funder to funder, but you could say, and we've done the analysis, okay, there's around 190 data elements that consistently get used and reused. How can we, you know, make better use of those across the sector or in our little working group of a half dozen funders to share that information? You know, that's brought some interesting things into play. Of course, there is a, why are we asking for this kind of information? Uh, some of it, I think, maybe warrants re-examination, but the other is well, if we're not using the exact same applications, how can we share this? And, and that gets into standards. And so the evolution of, <clears throat> I guess, the, the internet and various protocols and, and things like XML, for example, you know, to, to tag data elements are, are key components of that. So these 
these underlying building blocks have already been built. They exist in other sectors. I, when I was in higher ed, we created a, a standard protocol for transmitting transcripts from uh, institution to institution. And that was, I want to say, in 2004 or something like that. So that was, what, 15, 18 years ago. So it is not just conceivable, but to me, kind of obvious that the sector should be able to take advantage of existing technologies, either define or agree on standards, and then make steps towards utilizing them to make better use and reuse of data that already exists. So looking at this and becoming a champion of things like a, a common, again, using common application, but the, the, like you said, the concept of these common denominators across the industry is no small feat. And I know that you and I realize the gravity of this, who owns it, where does it, you know, how do we govern it? These are great examples of where maybe standards should be open and and no one should try to own the application of the data mm-hmm. there. And it's something that has to be I think in that sense, at the truest way, open for for all to embrace in whatever form they need to. And obviously, if they're not interested, like there may be places where people say that's not that's not what I want to do. So, keeping that available for everyone um, to take in as they see fit. And I think we'll see a you know a, a momentum shift in in that too at some point as well, which is exciting. And maybe it becomes something that is a more accepted standard too. But the idea of of really these standards. Um, why do you think there is such a, a lack of them? And in, in, a, in, a, in an industry, of course, that is non-competing, collaborative in nature, a cooperative economic game, why is it that we keep running into these challenges and creating some of these common denominators? Hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like the million-dollar question. I'm like, yeah, why is our sector well, doing this? <laughs> Sorry, if you have the answer, we'll, we'll go ahead and broadcast this across to everyone. I, <laughs> it's I a big some, question. I have some thoughts, and I guess uh, we'll happily spend the rest of my adult life maybe trying to unlock the puzzle. But, <laughs> it's like solve world hunger, John. <laughs> yes, that would be great. I would love to hear your well, opinion on that. I um, honestly will say that every day when I go to work, even if it's just stepping into the other room here in my house, I think, okay, today we're going to work on changing the world. And, you know, it's such a privilege to literally be in a place where I, I think can try to do that. Um, but the sector, boy, um, I think maybe, I think there's a few things. One is the, probably the business pressures, the motivations to make those changes have really been lacking you know as speaking as a private foundation you know we're beholden you know to our board right that's our key governance uh we you know file our taxes and follow laws and then beyond that we kind of do what we do uh so so there's uh, not a ton of outside pressures and i would think other organizations maybe have the same kinds of parameters or, or lack of constraints you know but it is stunning to look at let's say Mackenzie Scott and her efforts you know giving away billions of dollars you know in a right. year with a handful of people mm-hmm. uh, and you know so that is I think a very dramatically different approach than what private foundations have historically done and you know whether that's um, pure innovation or without a lack of I don't know legacy, protocols 
um, certainly makes the point that we can do our work, our grant making, and you know the operational uh, processes very, very differently because others are. You know the Jack Dorsey approach, as I understand it, using a um, Google Doc is is another one. So maybe those are lighter. Maybe it's a different way of thinking about how technology can aid things. So there's that. Um, one, we can do this better. I think historically, uh, IT has, you know, one, not been at the table. I think in smaller foundations, maybe not had the uh, benefit of a lot of investment, um, you know, into it. Um, our president recently spoke at a, a webinar and, you know, talked about the time that I've been at the foundation and the multi-million dollar investments the foundation has made. And he's he's right. Um, we the foundation did, and I both appreciate that. But it, you know, in one example, culminated with us turning on a dime and going remote in a day, with you know very little changes. So I think those investments are now improving in technology. But you you know you also need someone with a strategic lens to not just say, well, we've moved to G Suite or Office three sixty five, but you know, how are we going to connect our systems or even more so, how are we going to connect our data to our partners' data or our other foundations' data? I think one of the things we see along those lines is an information asymmetry, to use the you know, economic term, you know, meaning that there are grant makers who want to give money away and grant seekers who want that money and that they may well have the same uh, target area, but may not know about each other. So that idea of a commons for that type of purpose is something that I am seeing more of. There's a org or website, justfund.us, that is doing that. Um, I'm aware of various COVID commons efforts. Funders who want to uh, fund things or have a COVID fo- focus and then nonprofits who are also working in that area. So um, there's a couple manifestations of that there. But, you know, I think a lack of um, strong incentives or um, legal or maybe organizational pushes is part of why things have not evolved more or there's been a, a greater use of sharing of data. Right. It was really interesting, actually. We had a conversation about this at our, our client advisory uh, board, John, and I know Mike Wright from the Mott Foundation mentioned it, and we are, we are talking about kind of the year and recap at Flux and, and the amount of monies that had gone into the community and, and, and the flagging of, of what was COVID-related. And, and Mike astutely noted that, like, we said, okay, here's what we think was COVID-related, just as a FYI, interesting fact. And the point that Mike made is, like, unless it was explicitly called out in, like, the title, we wouldn't necessarily know that. And, and as simple as maybe having one piece of data that, you know, we universally flagged across the, you know, flux system that people could then opt in to say this was COVID related, we probably would have seen that the the money's given may maybe even double. You know, mm-hmm. it's we we look at it sometimes in the in the chasing of perfection and sort of miss out um, you know, what is that? It, I think it was um Darren Walker, obviously, that said, you know, we can't let perfection be the enemy of progress. And we have to meet these complex problems, these new ways of thinking and join in a common cause for a common good. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he means we have to start somewhere. And I think that's one of those things that to your point, maybe it's something where 
we get a little momentum, we have a, a basic structure we put in place and people start to see the benefit of, like you said, that, that information symmetry um, that starts to, in, you know, call people into action in a different way. So I'm hoping maybe data can be the catalyst to some of this too. And, and some of those early adopters and early adoption mm-hmm. could actually be something where we're just starting to tell stories a little differently and showing the benefit of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, um, that reminds me of something that I've seen, which is that, um, I think, and when I joined MacArthur 2012, uh, <laughs> a wise colleague, said to me, well, John, when you've seen one foundation, you've seen one foundation, (laughs) right? And uh, maybe that was true. I had a hard time with that when it was said to me, but I think that belief is pervasive, although I would say and hope less so now. But there was sort of an insular thinking or rather that we pick organization of choice does things differently and we do them differently because our way is better. Yeah. Right. You know, but we're increasingly using the same technologies or the, you know, a version of the same technologies that, for example, salesforce.org has a common data model. Microsoft philanthropies has a common data model. Mm-hmm. They, are not, they are not exactly yeah, the same, but got their own. I would love for them to, share the common data model um (laughs) make it common (laughs) um sure yeah (laughs) that's something i've thought about a lot and talked with various interested parties so hopefully that's something that can move forward yeah it's it's an interesting concept actually okay with all in all honesty john i've totally been using that quote if you see one foundation you see one foundation Mm -hmm. like through the last eight years i didn't realize that was from you i'm gonna have to like give you yeah, props to that, that that was i'll name check that was from our good friend uh, richard, get richard, out. richard i'm Kaplan. so glad we found the genesis of that i've just like somebody told me that i was like i love that quote and then i haven't wow. ever bothered to figure out where it came from this Rich, is such an exciting evolution yeah, for Rich, me to know that it yeah. came from one of your colleagues richard kaplan oh, um oh it was from richard kaplan yeah get out all um, right i gotta ha- give ha- him credit ha- having said that that line rubs me the wrong way, and I, th- I think that's <laughs> I utter, that. utter bold pucky, or whatever yeah. the term is. You know what I mean? That's hilarious. Well, now I know where it came from, at least. That's a big win. Um, fantastic. Well, so, okay, I know we're coming coming to the end, but I had one more question, and it was just, you know, if there's one way you believe CIOs can really help collaboration, there's anything that, you know, a, a piece of advice um, that you would want to bestow to, to folks who are in this role or aspiring to be in this role, what would that, what would that be? Mm, yeah, kind of different ones. Something that I found super valuable when I joined the foundation, and I would, I mean, I, I think this is a good exercise to do in a lot of different scenarios, is to, so when I joined, I got an org chart, um, which was a little bit of effort, but <laughs> I got one. And then I made my own influence chart. And, you know, showing a map of the organization and who had influence, right? And it isn't just a specific title. And and that served me really well. So as I think about this work now around creating standards or greater reuse of data, you know, hopefully achieving some common efforts, you know, that's, that's something that is also super useful, whether it's Funders, uh, the super important 
grant seekers, which frankly is why we should be doing all of this in the first place. Right. Technology companies, infomediaries, other industries who perhaps have solved this. Like, you know, those are all part of the influence map and figuring out how to, you know, organize and prioritize and pull those entities in is, is a is a helpful thing to do. Collaboration, I think, is related. Um, certainly understanding the influence is a big part of that. But I think being a trusted partner and doing that through demonstrated uh, accomplishments and follow through is, is probably the most important way of, of doing that. And, and it's probably a lot of reiteration. I mean, to, to the change management, like in some cases, it might take a pandemic to get those changes. But I think a consistent approach and desire and playing the long game are, are ways that one can achieve more collaboration. And, you know, changing the world is uh, something that will happen uh, over a long period of time. And even though every day right. I want to do it, I know it may take years and years and years and mm-hmm. potentially decades. Right. In a sequence that makes sense and in, in a way, like you said, that is digestible as the as the industry grows and evolves and culture changes. You know, I look forward to seeing that collective evolve. I think it's a really important and it, it's it's tangible right now. And I'm, I'm excited and I'm so honored, by the way, that that I got a chance to talk to you today on this, but also that I'm um, just honored to be able to work with you side by side on this, because I think the truth is, and, and you and I both know this, is that it is a, a mixture of of the foundations, the nonprofits, the technologists all coming together and putting all ego structures and nuances and, and such aside to figure out the best way to move it forward. So it's been a joy for sure. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and to that, I'll throw in my little lesson from my days in music, which Please. are not over, which is that, you know, you need a lot of different participants and instruments to create the, the desired sound or song you want to hear. And so, you know, to that collaboration and creativity are, are key. So thank you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and on that note, we can actually end uh, this sort of more structured, narrative, exciting part of the, the podcast and move into this kind of rapid fire section where I just shoot questions at you. And the first thing that comes to your mind, just throw it out there. And there's a couple I've told you about, but there's a couple I'm just going to throw in and, and, and let's see how this goes. Ready? Yeah. All right. What is the most common misunderstanding about funder technology that you hear about in philanthropy? Uh, that it is sophisticated and comprehensive. <laughs> That's awesome. I love the answers to these questions. All right. What is the biggest challenge you're facing this year in your role as CIO? Well, this year is exceptional. I mean, it's keeping everyone in the boat as we head towards the post-pandemic shore uh, while we've right. been at sea, while at the same time, you know, moving forward on all these important and time-sensitive initiatives. On that note, what is the first thing you're going to do after, we'll call it after the pandemic? I mean, I don't know if there's a, a black and white on that, but what's the first thing you can do when, the, when freedom reappears and, and uh, you, have, you have the ability to travel, attend, or do anything? What does it, what does it look like for you? Oh, boy. There's a lot of things that jump out. <laughs> Travel, traveling would be one. I look forward to those meetings between the meetings and the hallways or whatever with you and others. Uh, I actually miss the <laughs> the various conferences. And I know, right? <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. Yeah. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, whichever side of live music I'm on, doing more of that. 
I've squeezed in a couple safe things to date, but something that's a little bit more uh, <laughs> immersive would be great. And what is your favorite Slayer song? Well, you know, um, it's hard to pick, isn't it? I think, I think the thing <laughs> that it? It I, really, I actually. like about Slayer is that they've defined this subgenre. <laughs> you know, and they are Slayer, right? And, right. You know, you could say metal, death metal, whatever, but instead you just say Slayer or Slayer. Everyone knows it, right? Yeah. Cool. And then final question on Rapid Fire. Um, who, if you could have dinner with any human being, philanthropist or non-philanthropist or whomever, any human being over the cross, across history, who would it be? Any human being? Yeah. If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? Wow. That's a big is... question. I did not see that one for you. I'm more curious, like, <laughs> yeah. where your brain goes with uh, that. My goodness. <laughs> I don't know. I was reading about Abraham Lincoln, so he's a little top of mind. Top of mind right now? I like uh, that. Oh, gosh. Maybe... Buddy Holly. Ooh, uh, good one. That's know. a good answer. I like that one too. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know. There's, there could be different ones. I, nice. I think Jonas Salt would be fun. Yeah. I like that too. Well, um, thank you so much for joining the podcast today and sharing more about yourself, your work. Obviously, our listeners can learn more about the MacArthur Foundation at macfound.org. But yeah, I encourage everyone who's listening to check out their community initiatives, check out the kinds of things happening, look at those common data models, the common taxonomies, the common applications, and you know, help us evolve this all together. So yeah. again, thank you so much, John, you're, for today. You're really very appreciate welcome. You. It's, um, it's a pleasure to spend time with you, and I look forward to working together with you, with Flux, and with others in the sector. John, thank you so much for joining the podcast today and sharing more about yourself and your work. Our listeners can learn more about the MacArthur Foundation at macfound.org. You can listen and download our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, directly from our website at flux.io. That's F-L-U-X-X dot I-O. 